Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. In Acts chapter 26, we have an account of Paul standing before King Agrippa. I want us to look, first of all, at verses 9 through 11, and let's think for a moment about the conviction of Paul. Prior to his conversion, he was known as Saul. But what about this man who was deeply persuaded, who was a man of great conviction when it came to his Jewish heritage? I guess first and foremost, we need to think about his pedigree. Now, Paul points out to King Agrippa that he had lived a Pharisee in verse 5. In Philippians chapter 3 at verse 5, the apostle Paul talks about how he had been circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, a Hebrew of Hebrews. The tribe of Benjamin was a well-known tribe. As a matter of fact, the first king over the United Kingdom came from that tribe. And we're talking about King Saul. And you can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 9. But Paul traces his pedigree. And we can read of that in passages like Philippians chapter 3. And I think about also what Luke has recorded for us in chapters 22 and 23, where the Apostle Paul talks about how he, had, how he was born in Tarsus from the province of Cilicia. And he said he had been schooled at the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel. Paul had been well-educated. He was well-educated in the Jewish religion. Some would say that were he alive today, he would have the credentials of a PhD degree. Paul was well-versed in Judaism, and as a result of his heritage and his deep-seated beliefs, Paul did everything within his power to persecute those who were followers of the way. So we think about his pedigree, but then also consider, if you would, the persecutions that he inflicted upon the New Testament church. Look at verse 9, beginning in Acts chapter 26, the passage that was read a moment ago. Here's what Paul said. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He said, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now you go back to Acts chapter 7, and you read of the death of Stephen. Stephen was the first recorded martyr that we have in the New Testament. And the Bible tells us that Stephen was stoned. And they laid their garments at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. Luke tells us in chapter 8 at verse 1 that Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. Furthermore, Luke, as he traces the events in the life of the Apostle Paul and prior to his apostleship, he was known as Saul. 
The Bible tells us that there were a great deal of persecutions that had arisen against the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, many of the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. The Bible tells us in verse 3 that Saul made havoc of the church. Saul did everything within his power to destroy those who were followers of Jesus. There's a lesson there. Paul was a man of great conviction. I'm convinced that in his heart of hearts, he believed he was doing what was right. But he was wrong. Sometimes we may think we are right, religiously speaking, when in fact, we're wrong. Solomon said, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof, the ends thereof are the ways of death. And so here was a man that did everything within his power to destroy those who were followers of Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 10, the passage we read a moment ago in chapter 26, he talks about how when people were put to death, he said, I cast my vote against them. Paul was a great persecutor of the church. But I want you to think now about his conversion. What about the pardon that Saul of Tarsus experienced? Well, first, there was the calling or the confrontation. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul, as you well know, had received, he had received letters from the high priest to go to Damascus to find those who were followers of the way and to literally bring them back whether men or women, and commit them to prison. And so in verse 12, he said, While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, he said, At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Don't you know that was a wake-up call? Here's the Lord Jesus calling out from heaven and asking the question, why are you persecuting me? Here's what Saul, here's what Saul asked in verse 15. Who are you, Lord? And here's the response. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So the call of Saul of Tarsus. Now we talk about the deep-seated conviction that this man had. This man was very zealous in everything that he did. As a matter of fact, when he wrote to the saints in Philippi, he would say concerning zeal as persecuting the church in Philippians 3 verse 6. But here's what I want you to see. We have this call, but then there is this conversion process that takes place. The Lord Jesus used a man by the name of Ananias to go and to speak to this man Saul or Paul. When the Lord Jesus called upon Ananias to be this instrument to go and to talk to Saul, Ananias responded by saying, Lord, I've heard by many about this man. It was a well-known, documented fact that this man, Saul of Tarsus, he was intent on destroying those who were of the way. And so 
There was some hesitation on the part of Ananias, and rightly so, we can understand that. Here's a man that's been a great persecutor. He's done everything that he can or everything that he could within his power to destroy those who were following the way. And now he's going to stand face to face with this man. Well, what about his cleansing? What about his conversion? What transpired? Well, the Lord said when you find him, he's going to be praying. The record tells us that when Ananias reached Saul of Tarsus, he responded by saying, and now, why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Why do you think Saul of Tarsus was instructed to arise and be baptized? Well, the reason he was instructed to arise and be baptized was because Judaism, the old law, had been nailed to the cross, Colossians 2, verse 14. The new covenant, the Christian dispensation, was in effect. Jesus was the mediator. He is the mediator of that new covenant, according to Hebrews 9, verse 15. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, Hebrews 9, verse 22. What Saul of Tarsus needed was the blood of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. How do you contact the blood of Christ? Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10 and say that salvation is located in Christ Jesus. Now you have to understand that Saul of Tarsus, he understood, he was well aware of what the law taught. He knew, he knew the Old Testament scriptures. After all, he was a Jew. He was well educated in Judaism. And Saul of Tarsus would have understood all of the great prophecies. He would have understood all the great prophecies that were given about the coming Messiah. He would have been well acquainted with the words given by our Lord to Abraham in the long ago when God called Abraham and said, In you shall all nations of the earth, all families of the earth be blessed. That promise was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Paul would later write to the Galatians and say, If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, the promise that had been made hundreds of years earlier to Abraham who was called the friend of God. It was Abraham through whom God created a nation, the Hebrew nation, to bring the Christ, the Messiah, into the world. Well, Saul of Tarsus, he was well aware of all of that. He understood the prophecies that had been given. And so, when we talk about salvation, Christ, according to Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, he is the end, he is the aim of the law. Well, Paul had to come to understand that. He had to come to understand that Jesus had indeed come. He had died, shed his blood, ascended back to heaven. And so Saul of Tarsus was instructed to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. The washing away of sins occurs when a person puts his or her faith in, in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. There are steps that lead to salvation. Every step, essential. Every step, extremely important. We have to first of all believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, John 8, verse 24. 
Then the instructions are that we are to repent and turn again. And Paul will tell Agrippa that based on the commands given unto him, that he has gone out and begun preaching and teaching repentance toward God. But then there is also confession, confessing that we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of Almighty God. The eunuch made that great confession in the long ago according to Acts 8 verse 37. And then we are immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that we might enjoy the remission of sins, Acts 2 38. So that we might enjoy the washing away of sins. That's what the apostle Paul enjoyed. Why did he enjoy that? Because he obeyed the gospel. Now there are a lot of people in our world today, they have the idea that you can pray a certain prayer and be saved. Saul of Tarsus was praying, but he wasn't saved. The only way men and women can be saved today, the only way anybody can be saved today is to obey the gospel. Now I said that the blood that we need in order to be saved, it's in Christ. Salvation is in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. The only way that we can get into Christ is to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 6, verse 3, Know you not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Why do we need to be baptized into the death of Jesus? Well, let me ask this question. Where did he shed his blood? In death, John 19, 34. If we're going to appropriate the blood of Christ that was shed in death, we've got to go where it was shed. God asked Saul of Tarsus what he asked of people today. What is that? To obey the gospel. Why is that? So that we might enjoy cleansing from sin. Now we talk about the benefits and blessings of the blood of Christ. Here's what Paul said in writing to the church at Ephesus. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. The grace of God has made salvation possible. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To know that through the grace of God, we have a plan whereby we can enjoy a relationship with the Lord. So there is the call to Saul and then there is the conversion of Saul. When Saul obeyed the gospel, he became a member of the church that we read about in the Bible. When we do what he did, when we do what they did in the first century, we become what they were, which is simply members of the body of Christ, the church of Christ, the church we read about in the New Testament. Nothing more, nothing less. We wear the name of a Christian. We are partakers of all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus according to Ephesians 1 at verse 3. So, the cleansing of Saul. But there is a third thing that I want you to see as we look at, as we look at this text. And that is the consecration of Paul. When we talk about his consecration. We need to see the purpose behind the calling of Saul of Tarsus. So with that in mind, note if you would, first of all, note the command of the Savior. Now, Saul of Tarsus has, has asked the question, who are you, Lord? And the Lord has responded by saying, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Verse 16, here's what Jesus said. 
but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. A couple of things here. First, we see his mission. God has a divinely appointed mission for this man. Now, when the Lord appeared or the Lord spoke to Ananias and instructed him to go to Saul of Tarsus, he said, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine. He would say that he will bear my name before Gentiles, before kings and the children of Israel. He went on to say in verse 16 of Acts chapter 9, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul lived to fulfill that prophecy. When you begin looking at the life, the ministry, the missionary work of the Apostle Paul, you will see that he was beaten time and again for the cause of Christ. So Paul had a divinely appointed mission. But what about his message? Look again at what he said. Here's what the Lord Jesus said in relationship to the mission of this man and the message, the powerful message that he would share with the lost and dying world. He said, I'm sending you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith in me. How powerful is the gospel of Christ? Well, Paul said in Romans 1:16, it's the power of God unto salvation. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. When Jesus instructed his disciples to go into all the world for the purpose of evangelizing, he said, you are to preach the gospel. Why is that? Because that's the only message that will save. Paul was instructed to go out to begin preaching and teaching to a lost and dying world. Here were people that were steeped in spiritual darkness. They were servants of Satan. I think sometimes we miss the fact that those who are in the world, they are in spiritual darkness. Their spiritual father is Satan. And the bottom line is they're lost. They're without hope and without God in this world. And yet here is the Apostle Paul and he is now a man with a mission. He has been given divine instructions whereby he can be a link to bringing people to Jesus Christ. Now we talk about the command of the Savior, but here's what I want you to see. Note if you would the compliance of the saint. Here's what is said in verse 19 and here is the Apostle Paul. He's making his defense before King Agrippa. And here's what he said regarding this heavenly vision. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, 
and throughout, throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. First, the submission of Paul. One of the things that we ought to be impressed with as it relates to this text is the fact that Paul could say, look, I submitted to the will of God. The Lord Jesus Christ said, here's what I want you to do. And the apostle Paul can say without any variation, without any modification, he could simply say, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. Now I want to ask you some questions. When we read the commands of Almighty God in this book that we call the Bible, have you been submissive? Have you obeyed what this book teaches? Let's just begin by asking, have you been baptized into Christ? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned, Mark 16, 16. Peter said on Pentecost day, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Have you done that? Could you say, I've done what the Lord has asked me to do? It may be here, it may be that you're here tonight, you have heard gospel sermon after gospel sermon. You know the plan of salvation, you know that God wants you to be baptized in order to be saved. You know that God wants you to be a member of the body of Christ so that you can be a part of the ecclesia, the community of the saved, those who are in light, those who belong to the Lord, but you haven't done that. In short, you haven't been submissive. You haven't honored the will of God. Let me ask you a second question. If you have obeyed the gospel, are you bearing fruit as a Christian? Here's what Jesus said in John 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. There are a number of ways that we bear fruit in the Christian life. One of, one of the ways that we bear fruit in our Christian life is by holiness, living a holy life. The Bible tells us that we are to be holy because God, our Father in heaven, is holy, 1 Peter chapter 1. Linked to that, the admonition to live a life of purity. Paul would say to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, keep yourself pure. Are you living a holy and pure life in the eyes of God? Did you know that that is a command of God? Have you been submissive to his will? Let me ask another question. Are you steadfast, immovable? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He said, be you steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Have you been submissive to what the Lord has asked you to do? When we talk about the work of the Lord, the work of the church, those works, evangelism, edification, and benevolence, are you involved in one, in one or more of those works? If not, then you can't say to the Lord, I've, I've honored your will that I've been obedient to what you've asked me to do. Let me ask you another question. Have you been faithful? Have you been faithful day in and day out? 
Here's what Jesus said, be faithful until death. The promise, the crown of life, Revelation 2 at verse 10. You can read the New Testament from cover to cover, and one of the things that's stressed over and over again is faithfulness to the Lord. Living for him day in and day out. Paul said in Galatians 2 at verse 20 that Christ was living in him. Furthermore, he would say in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 4 that his life centered on Jesus. He said, for Christ who is our life, that was his life. And because Christ was his life, he sought to the best of his ability to be salt in this world and light in the midst of darkness. He sought to do everything within his power to live a life that would be pleasing to Almighty God. So what about you? Have you been faithful? Are you faithful? These are things that the Lord has asked of us. When Saul of Tarsus responded to the call by the Lord Jesus Christ, and as he recounts this conversion story to King Agrippa, he could say, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision." It may well be that a number of people do not make it to heaven because they haven't been obedient. Did you know that obedience is the prerequisite to entering the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 7, 21? Furthermore, obedience is the prerequisite to entering heaven. John said in Revelation chapter 22, blessed are those that do his commands that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. If we fail to do the will of Almighty God here on earth, we can't expect to go to heaven. So we talk about the submission of the Apostle Paul. But then I want you to think about the service of the Apostle Paul. Look again at what's said. When somebody is baptized into Christ, when should they begin working to convert others to Christ? When should they begin working in the kingdom of God? You know when they ought to begin? As soon as that individual comes up from that watery grave of baptism, they ought to begin working and laboring for the kingdom of God. Do they need to be, do they need to be edified or built up in the faith? Do they need to be taught all things that Jesus has commanded, as Jesus would say in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 at verse 20? Absolutely. But I think about somebody who has been baptized into Christ. They know enough to become a Christian. They know enough to obey the command of Almighty God. Could that person not go out and tell somebody what they did to become a child of God? The answer is absolutely. So what about the service of the Apostle Paul? Listen again at verse 20. He said, based on that heavenly vision that he'd received, He said he declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Paul was a man with a mission. All of us, we ought to see ourselves as links in the chain. Every link is vital. The church is only as strong as its membership because after all the church is made up of people. And so if if the church is going to go forward, if the church is going to be what God would have it to be here on this earth, if the church here at Olive Branch is going to grow and flourish and be all that God would have it to be, you know what it's going to take? It's It's going to entail each and every one of us realizing that we have a mission, that we have a responsibility, 
that there are people all over this community, all over this city, all over this region that need the gospel. We have the opportunity to do a lot of good things as children of God. I said this morning that there are a lot of misconceptions about how to change our society and, and to change our nation. I'm convinced that the key to changing the structure of our nation is the gospel. What we have to do is realize we have, we've got the power to change this nation, to change this city, to change this community, to change this region or state or whatever you want to call it. It's called the gospel. So if each and every one of us, whether young or old, black or white, rich or poor, really doesn't matter. If each and every one of us would realize that we have a mission, we have a message to share, begin teaching the gospel to the lost, talking to others about Christ. And then once people obey the gospel, teach them to live faithfully for the Lord, to engage in the various good works of the church. All of us have this responsibility. It's not just the responsibility of elders or deacons or preachers or teachers or song leaders. Each and every one of us needs to view himself or herself as a vital link in the cause of Christ. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.